welcome to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and the co-host Javier Figueroa is with us today. Say hey, Javier. Good to be back on. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I love our theme song. We need a revolution. We need a peaceful revolution in medical care, in the medical industry. And our guest today, for the first half hour, we've got several guests lined up today, but our guest for the first half hour, I tell you, they are doing amazing work um, in this COVID chaos. What has been revealed is what many of us have known is the complete capture of health in America by an industry that does not always put patient first. And it is absolutely stepped right in the middle of the patient doctor relationship and people are dying because of it. I'm gonna share with you real quick before we bring on our guest because she is with this group. This is the homepage here of the FLCCC. Go to flccc.net, that the frontline COVID-19 critical care alliance that formed um, you know, more than a year ago as a reaction to these frontline doctors who are pulmonary care specialists working in ICUs, they came up with treatments to save lives. And now they are so frustrated because they are being hampered in so many ways. So um, I'm going to read a little bit here about their most recent press release. Dr. Paul Merrick, patients at Centera Norfolk General Hospital are dying needlessly. On November 9th, 2021, they write, a lawsuit is filed as hospital handcuffs doctors' ability to save dying COVID-19 patients. In a press release issued, the FLCCC announced that its co-chief medical officer, Dr. Paul Merrick, filed suit against Centera Healthcare System, I apologize for the phone, for instituting a policy preventing him and other physicians from administering proven life-saving treatments. We take an oath as doctors to do no harm, said Dr. Pierre Corey, co-chief medical officer of the FLCCC. No doctor should be forced to watch their patient die knowing that more could have been done to save them. Um, it's heartbreaking when you hear him um, speak on this, which he did Wednesday night at their weekly Zoom meeting, which anybody can sign up to attend. And with that, to maximize her time with us, I'm bringing on here the beautiful Betsy Ashton of FLCCC. Hi, Betsy. Hello, Bernadette and Javier. It's uh, it's lovely being back here with you, but not not under these circumstances. I mean, this is a lawsuit that never should have happened. Ever. It, it, exactly. And I couldn't imagine this happening in this this country. I could not imagine what has happened. I have to tell you that I only got involved in this. I had been a CBS News correspondent years and years ago, and I'd retired and gone on and done other things, done a lot of art. And um, I, I got called back in at the beginning when, you know, when COVID really hit New York City in March of 2020, and 80% of patients were in flooding the hospital ICUs, and they were dying in ICUs. They were on ventilators and th there were, you know, more trucks coming up, ice trucks for, because the morgue couldn't handle all the bodies. It was really a crisis. And my doctor said, Betsy, we're getting no advice, no advice from above um, on how to treat these patients. And 
he said, you've got media connections and media background. Maybe you can help because he said, I've done my own research and there is a team of doctors. They're critical care experts. Pierre Corey is a pulmonologist, but most of them are critical care. These are the guys in the ICUs putting their lives on the line, going in and taking care of critical care patients all over the country in different hospitals. And he said, they know what they're doing. They have already figured out what this disease is, that it's not, the virus doesn't kill you. The virus starts it out. But in some patients, that triggers this inflammatory phase, this cytokine storm, and that's what kills people. And they have figured out that you need to use steroids. This was the first thing in order to do that. But the WHO and the NIH said, oh, no, 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 you can't use steroids in an inflammatory disease. And he said, the officials are wrong. These doctors know what they're doing. We've got to get the word out and save lives because they are saving them. And so I said, sure, I'll help because everything I was doing in art was everything was shut down. And that's how I got in to try to help save lives. And I, I cannot tell you what the, this has been an unbelievable adventure. Mm-hmm. It was great working with these people and, and learning what they knew uh, to the degree that someone who is not trained as a physician can do it. Um, and it was, but, you know, I used to cover science stories, however, so I can read and, and can ferret out some of the information, but what happened is as they went on, as they learned, and as they went and started to testify and write papers about what they had learned to share with the world, a lot of the rest of the world was listening. A lot of the doctors were listening. But the authorities, Mm -hmm. silence. Mm -hmm. And the major media, silence. Because they're only talking and listening to the medical authorities. Whereas the doctors around the world were saving patients and doing reports. And this is where our team, voraciously reading everything, started to do studies and find out, oh my goodness, this works, this works. And a doctor who's in a critical care situation, like our Dr. Paul Merrick, like our Dr. Pierre Corey, like Jose Iglesias and the uh, Joe Verone, these doctors, when they see a sick patient, they're not going to say, oh, too bad. Some new drug might be developed in several months. We'll deal with it then. We can't do anything for you now. They're going to say, no, no, no. I'm going in and using everything in my toolbox to try to save your life. That's who these people are, and that's who Dr. Dr. Paul Merrick, who is one of the most highly published critical care physicians in the world. I mean, we're, we're not talking about Joe Sixpack, who's out selling bubblegum and claiming it's a medical you know, cure. We're talking about somebody who has been there, putting his life on the line, saving patients in hospital, and researching and reading and helping to write papers that tell the world, hey, this works. And so what happened, what's incredible that happened is that just a few days ago, Centara Norfolk General Hospital, where he practices, now he's a professor, he's highly published, he's highly cited by doctors around the world. He's an expert critical care physician. And he has created these protocols with the FLCCC doctors who are now global, global group, that we know work. We know they save lives. 
he has been prevented. The hospital says you can't use those medicines that you were using to save lives in the ICU. You can't use them. Banned in our hospital. And this is unprecedented. Why? First of all, why would anybody? I mean, I can't answer that question, but why would anybody tell a doctor who treats patients who knows how to save lives, you can't use the medicine? Why handcuff them? Incredible. Well, we have reason to think we know maybe why. I mean, a lot of people say, follow the money. Mm-hmm. One thing that we can say is that the doctors of the FLCCC Alliance have no financial interest in these medicines. You know, you're talking about vitamin C, vitamin D. You're talking about um, fluvoxamine. You're talking about um, all kinds of zinc. You're talking about uh, melatonin. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're talking about yeah, melatonin, all kinds of things that you, most of them you can buy over the shelf. And most of the other ones that you need a prescription for have been inexpensive, have been used for decades and are off patent. Now that's the key thing because when they are off patent, nobody's gonna make a financial killing off them, but they might be, they just might be a block to a new drug that needs an emergency use authorization in order to be, authorized for treating a novel disease, the coronavirus, this particular new one created by the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which we call COVID-19. So, okay, you're a manufacturer and you want to get an EUA because you've got a new drug that you want to get out there for this new pandemic. Well, and if it's, and you have a patent on it, you can make billions and billions of dollars. And we've already seen with the vaccines, we've already seen with this drug remdesivir that was like that on based on very little evidence and some of it really concerning uh, that it's used as a treatment, $3,000 a treatment dose for just about anybody who gets into the hospital. And most of the doctors are telling us it doesn't really work. Whereas the simple drugs that are off patent that our doctors have used a cocktail of medicines they're not being allowed to use them nobody will make money off of them but the law for that emergency use authorization says if an effective safe and effective treatment exists to treat the problem well you can't get an emergency use authorization In other words, wipe out billions of dollars. Is that a motivation perhaps to shut down the use of drugs? Well, you you have to answer that question yourself. Um, But that's sure what it looks like. And it's just incredible that doctors cannot do what they know works, use medicines that they know save lives. And as Dr. Merrick says, that he's forced to stand stand there Mm -hmm. and look a patient in the eye and he can't treat the patient with what he knows can make that person better and watch that person die. Mm -hmm. How cruel is that? It is so cruel, yeah. uh, It's It's, it's inhumane, it's criminal. It's not just cruel, it's criminal. What is going on right now globally and especially in the United States is absolutely criminal. And uh, you know, 
Dr. Paul Merrick, with all his credentials and all his accomplishments, he is the sweetest, humblest man. When you hear him speak and his genuine um, desire to help his patients, he doesn't want any fame or glory. He's risking his entire reputation oh, yeah. because of the onslaught. Um, and nothing has ever been clear that we have a captured public health agency. And it takes, I'm so proud of all of the doctors of the FLCCC and so many others, America's frontline doctors around the world who are not giving in to the fear. We need more doctors to be brave and follow in the footsteps of these brave doctors and stand up and say no. You know, we took an oath to save lives, not to, you know, um, benefit somebody else's bottom line. And we really need a revolution, a peaceful revolution. And I see what may be happening is doctors end up walking away and starting their own practices. And it, we're starting to have this shift of, you know, not enough help available at the existing places. But I don't want it to come to that. I don't want it to come to the point where the existing infrastructure crumbles in such a dangerous way that so many people across the board for many health issues are absolutely abandoned, you know? Well, it's a little hard to do that, to have your own ICU. I mean, well, it's, it's one well, thing. But here, Betsy, it's true to have your own ICU, but if you listen to the FLCCC doctors and everything, at least in regards to COVID and probably flu and so many other things, you don't need an ICU if you start treatment protocols early. The ambulatory, Correct. you know, treatments um, are there for you to keep you out and you can keep it and people who need maybe some steroids and oxygen at home those can be delivered to the home care setting you know yes. um yeah there's just that capture when you walk through the door of the er um is yeah it it and so again I'm, I'm i'm going i'm just so thankful one thing i wanted to ask you to explain betsy some people listening may if they're of a certain age may recognize your voice it's like why is her <laughs> voice so familiar because that's what happened to me and i mean you were in journalism in in broadcast tv um tell us a little bit about you know your history there well in the 1970s uh which tells you i'm older than i look <laughs> In the 1970s, I started in radio in Washington, D.C., uh, at WWDC, I might add, and then on to WMAL, and uh, then I wound up going quickly into television, and I was there at WMAL, which became WJLA, uh, and I was the consumer reporter there, and then I was hired away to the big bad city, to New York City, uh, by WCBS-TV, and then quickly on the network, on the CBS Morning News throughout the 1980s. 80s. So I had a good run in all of that. I retired a bit later and uh, you know, left the business, but I kept very much involved with, and I still am, on the boards of some journalism organizations. Uh, I believe in a free press. I believe very much how critical it is to having a democracy um, mm. and, and having an effective, you know, the, I believe that the media is supposed to represent the patient the individual to mm -hmm. see that government is working properly and to see that big business is not taking advantage of things. That's what media is supposed to be doing. And honestly, yes. I have to say that my colleagues are, they're just listening to the generals at the top 
And I don't, I don't view this as a political thing. I view it as something that has happened at the top of the medical establishment where they have been captured by money, by an industry that is pulling the strings. It appears that way. It appears that they, through ads to media, through ads to medical journals as well, through contributions to hospital systems, to medical schools, there's huge money, and of course to politicians. But I think politicians on both sides can be affected. And yeah. the, the problem is, um, we've where is the media asking those questions? They're not. Of yeah. the and deals that have been done by the medical establishment. That's what needs to be done because the doctors know and the doctors know they're being hampered in ending this pandemic by not being allowed to use early treatment with very inexpensive, effective medicines. And they're being hampered. This lawsuit is about being hampered in the ICU, not being able to save a life that's in danger with medicines that you know can turn it around. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to say that I want to go to Javier. I know he's, he's just burst in with questions for you is it's not just the money. I think even more powerful than the money being pushed at top layers is the fear because you, I just know they're being threatened. You go along with a game plan or you're gone. Your institution is gone. The money is gone. Your reputation is gone. You want to be labeled? You know, we know how to take people down. I mean, there are famous lawsuits, right? The, the famous one about with uh, Merck and... Um, What's the one with the X's in it? Do you remember Javier? Anyway, the um, uh, I've, I've gone blank on it. But anyway, you know they've got through public through through the discovery process, they found out internal memos saying find whoever's critical of this product and you take them down. You take Biox. Biox, yes. Oh yes. And that so they've got decades of practice of threats, and so many doctors who believe what we believe and know what we know, they know if they stand up, they risk their job, they risk their license. I I think that fear is more powerful right now than the money. Honestly, we we know. By the way, there are many many doctors who and nurses who have told us. Uh, look, I know what you, that you're, you're doing the right thing. I want to use this. I want to do this, but I can't. I've, they've threatened my license. They've threatened to go after me. Mm. But we've, we've got a lot of friends out there who absolutely would be vocal, but they, they're, it's fear. Absolutely. But, so we all need to clasp hands at once. And I say the royal we when Bernadette's in a bubble, my life livelihood is not at stake. And yeah, yeah so Javier, have at it. I, I'm, you, I know you got good questions here for Betsy. Well, no, just uh, the fact that we're now uh, in, a, in a place where we're putting uh, handcuffs on doctors. Um, have you heard any sort of pushback or uh, talk between in the FLCCC uh, about beginning lawsuits against these hospital systems that, as far as I know, if, if I understand correctly, hospitals don't have medical licenses. Doctors do. Well, that's correct. Well, yeah. that, this, this, this lawsuit that was just filed the other day is exactly that. It is against the hospital for blocking 
Dr. Paul Merrick's ability and the other doctors, any mm. doctor's ability to use the simple repurposed drugs or any drugs that mm -hmm. they know work. It's it, This is all about the right of the doctor to use their expertise their, from their observations, from all of their training, from all of their years of work, as well as everything that they've read, all the studies that they've come up with. Mm -hmm. the, and the doctor knows the patient. The doctor is the one who knows whether or not a drug will have a bad interaction because they know what the patient's already taking. Exactly. Not, mm -hmm. not some administrator up there who is saying, oh, everybody has to take this because, hey, we got a big good deal at it or whatever. You know, that this is not about a business. This is about patient patients. care. And yeah. it's about the, the, the doctor's right to do the right kind of care. Yeah. Now, this, since a lot of these hospitals are part of larger corporate groups, either, you know, they, they say, well, there are nonprofits. Well, yes and no and all that. But this, this is so coordinated that there's so many hospital systems pushing the same thing. Do you think there's a potential for a RICO lawsuit? I'm not the person who can answer that question, but we do know that this is something going on on a very large scale. Right. Um, there, it's not just in the United States. It seems to be that the same pronouncements are coming out and the same dubious decisions are coming out of the medical agencies, whether it's the World Health Organization, or the NIH, they, there seem to be, let's just say there seem to be interests involved in all of these decisions that aren't necessarily what our doctors are seeing as the best science. I mean, yeah. science is always a, a controversial thing. There's always something new over here and something here. And so there's always controversy. Well, one of the th strange things is that the science is not being allowed to be debated. What, what we're seeing is information is being taken down. It's being blocked. You, the public is only hearing one mantra that is coming down from the elite group of the medical authorities from these alphabet agencies. And they all seem to be in concert. And there are some big players, Fauci, Dr. Fauci, Bill Gates, this group. And they seem to be they seem to be pulling the strings all over the world. You've got Australia with the same kind of situation and restrictions. You've got Canada, you've got the United Kingdom, and you've got the, the United States. You've got a lot of Western Europe doing the same thing. Ironically, a lot of poor countries that haven't as yet gotten vaccines and haven't as yet haven't got the money for all of the remdesivirs and the other expensive new things, a lot of the poor countries are doing very well on the repurposed drugs because that's all they've got. Um, most of Africa that is taking um, ivermectin, for example, because of the parasitic diseases that they had there, they're not having as much COVID. Uh, Uttar Pradesh, which is a huge state in India, where there are many, many uh, people who are, who are poor, who live in crowded conditions where you would think, oh my goodness, this will, this will actually explode, right? In Uttar Pradesh, they managed with a protocol that they've been handing out with extremely good public health um, plans, a protocol that has ivermectin, they, they got rid of the pandemic. I mean, hello, what's wrong here? Their death rates are lower than ours. 
Are we missing something? I think so. Yeah, and and because they did the medicines um, instead of attempting to skew their immune systems with these genetic injections, which they label vaccines, they've got beautiful natural immunity developing within their populations. And, you know, moving forward, they're going to be so much better off. You know, so you combine the the handcuffing of doctors, the censorship, the absolute refusal of um, legacy media to do their jobs and challenge government. You cannot have a free country, a free republic, if you trust whatever is hand-fed to you by your government. That's called Soviet Union, right? That's called China, when you do not criticize or think if it comes, you know, but here in the United States, if it comes off the newswire and it came from a three-letter agency, they just put it out there as fact. That's not freedom. You, freedom cannot stand with that. And um, so, you know, we're getting close to having to let you go. It's like you probably need to go have dinner and you've had a very long day. I want to say yes. something though, before you let me go, because, yeah. you know, we've had a lot of people who really care about fighting for the doctors and fighting for the doctor's right to use the medicines that they know work. And they want to do something. They want to help this particular lawsuit. And so they should watch our website, flccc.net, because uh, this is Centara Norfolk General Hospital. Some of them want to write letters to say, please, you know, please, what are you doing? Please. Uh, obviously, we are not discouraging people from writing an intelligent letter that says this mattered to me this is this this is a life and death issue and let the doctors do what they know how to do and so um, we will have more on the website if people need addresses or people need help this is all it's all happening uh, the hearing on this is next week uh, I think it's scheduled for Thursday of next week. The hospital has already filed a motion to dismiss, which one would expect. Um, the, the, the case already, the doctors have said, you know, there's a lot of law from the, all the way up to the Supreme Court that says, this is a doctor's right to do this. Yeah. This is a doctor's right to fight for the doctor's right to treat. And so um, this is this should be front page news everywhere. It, it should be. And this is huge. This is precedent setting. This is really a historical case going forward. And it couldn't be stronger or have a more wonderful doctor, you know, behind it. And I, I pray for your legal team. And I'm going to encourage um, and viewers and listeners, go read all you can at flccc.net, share the website, share the information. And if you can, I know everybody's begging you for your money, but every little <laughs> bit helps. This is a oh, nonprofit yeah. organization. And if, if, and if we want, if they want to push through the censorship, it takes money to maintain that website. It takes money to file lawsuits. It takes money to do all of this. So please give what you can to support this. So yeah. If we're a tiny staff, we're yes. a tiny staff and we are fighting. Do you know how many millions yes. of billions yes. of dollars are out there? Yes. In the oh, please. It's so definitely David you. and Goliath. You're, you're welcome, Betsy. You, and and you. bless your heart. Thank you for taking some time out of your Friday evening after a very long week to come uh, and be with us today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for all of your concerns and all of your help in a 
in, in what could be more important than saving the lives of of people nothing who, who can be who can be saved yeah you've, you've saved people that i love so thank you all right <laughs> okay thank take you. care bye-bye bye-bye thank you yeah um so Javier, Betsy, the FLCCC, they are so wonderful. I, I can't remember when I discovered them, but just a beacon of light in this storm um, against medical freedom. And I'm, I'm just praying for a good outcome for this case. So how about we start a campaign? Let's get some letters <laughs> written to that hospital. I love that idea. Maybe they'll just drop it and change their ways. But you know, and I, I actually don't want the lawsuit dropped. I want it to go and win. I want it to go and win. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Yeah. We need to reestablish the, uh, the patient doctor um, access before the hospital, or at least the top down versus the bottom up. And I think that's the critical part. You need to have uh, both the doctor and the patient working together, not the hospital getting in the way. Exactly. Yeah. And if, and if a patient brings their wishes to the table with um, science that their, their doctor supports, then that should be what is done. In their Zoom meeting this past Wednesday, um, there was a discussion about one, one way of potentially protecting yourself, don't know if it'll work, I don't know if anybody's tried it, is to write yourself an advanced medical directive. Pair up with your doctor and your attorney, have an advanced medical director. So if you ever do get COVID and, and, um, <clears throat> and you end up in the hospital, then you've got this advanced, uh, this legal document that says how you want to be treated. Right. But ideally, and this is what I want to talk about until the top of the hour when we're going to bring on some amazing, um, we're going to bring on some firefighters here in a little bit to talk about some firefighting's fighting the good fight for freedom. <laughs> how about that? But we're, we, I want to talk to you about, you know, have a conversation about solutions. Right. And number one on your list, just as Betsy was saying, there's nothing more important than saving lives. And you start with saving your own life and that of your family. How do you do that? Right now, before you're sick, you go shopping for a doctor, you go shopping for a healthcare practitioner that is aligned with your approach to health and wellness. You work together to set up a game plan of what you will do if you get COVID or the flu or you know, anything, what is your approach to health and wellness? You know, get yourself checked out, find out where you need to supplement, make sure you've got your vitamin D that you're taking. We're moving into the winter months here in the United States. So let's, yep. you know, figure out what you need, be prepared so that you can, it's so that your decisions are not, are not um, guided by fear, which is what happens if you just start looking around when you've already got the fever and you're having trouble breathing or something, exactly. right? um, or it's your child. And that's when it's scariest when it's your child, because it's, it's one thing to screw up decisions for your own health, but it's, it's a lot scary and they're going to put fear in you. Absolutely. Right? They are. Yep. Fear is not a good place to operate. Um, yeah. So I'm going to ask you, Javier, do you have your healthcare practitioner in place? Are you I... prepared? I do not, but I'm actively looking for one that actually aligns with my uh, with my needs and my uh, uh, my viewpoints. Uh, again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with a doctor that's more experienced with me. But you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be my final decision whether or not I want something to be done. Mm -hmm. and that and that's not just for COVID, but for a range of other uh, treatments. Yeah. and that they'll be able to keep my uh, my personal health information safe and secure and out of the hands of uh, any government official. Wow. 
That's really a good one. Yeah, because more and more we're being commoditized. Correct. And and the connection that's coming between your health status, <laughs> namely your pharmaceutical uptake status, and your access to your bank, to your right. job, to your school, to life completely will be tied to your whether or not you're doing what they want you to do. So yeah, so good for you. I want to keep, I'll keep nagging you, come here and find that person. <laughs> there you go. You know, and it, sometimes it's a team of people because, right. you know, sometimes it's not just one person, you know, I've got, my people are in Washington that I found. And so now I'm in Tennessee. And so I can do telemed with some of them, but I'm going to, I'm going to have to find some Tennessee people here to be my, um, to be my team. So number one, I've got for solutions is stand your ground, first of all, mm -hmm. in, um, you know, keep listening and learning and informing yourself. It's okay to say you were wrong about something and change your mind. Just stay informed. And when you know something strongly, stand your ground. And that's very hard to do, but that's number one, the number one solution to all of this. Because if everybody stood their ground, this would be over. Oh, it would have been over a year ago. A year ago, you know, yeah. nobody would be wearing ridiculous masks that do nothing but, you know, my sister, I love it. She calls them um, the anti-Listerine, the anti-mouthwash, because they do the opposite. You know, they, they create Correct. a warm, nice, warm, wet environment for viruses and bacteria and everything to thrive and grow <laughs> and, and, and spread, right? And the way they used is just so absurd. I just... I can't believe people are using that willingly wear a mask into a restaurant, sit down, order, take it off to eat, put it back on. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just amazing, isn't it? And yeah. the other thing I would say is, you know, part of the thing that we need to be aware of is that everything that's going on, it's costing us money, the taxpayers. So we're actually subsidizing our own enslavement at this point. Yes. This is something that needs to be brought forth over and over again. Do not put your money and time into systems that are actively enslaving you and taking away your power. And that means that if you're banking with uh, large multinational banks that are supporting this, take your money out, put it into community bank. If you're going to a large group doctor's practice that is pushing vaccines or pushing mask mandates, go find a smaller clinic that can actually service and provide you with the uh, treatments that you know work versus what they're being told to provide. So again, this is, this is the other area. Take control of your finance and your medical treatment. And also try and disengage as much as possible. You know, start, start going to CHD TV where you can actually get lots <laughs> yes. of good information instead of sitting down and watching mainstream media. Exactly. Yeah. And, and let's take a moment to thank uh, Children's Health Defense um, for sponsoring an hour of this radio show, which is also now a CHD live show. We're just so thrilled to be here. I, you know, sometimes I don't want to think, Javier, about how many people around the world might potentially be seeing us right now, because otherwise I might not be able to speak. But um, it's just, you know, it's a big world, but it's a really small world because it's filled with what people who really, truly care about their neighbor. And that yes. has been co-op. Yes. by those people at the top Patsy was talking about who were controlling everybody you know the, the people are going along with this your average person the best of themselves is being captured their exactly. desire to help their fellow man to do the right thing and I'm telling you I I keep being inspired by humanity despite all the craziness going on so so stand your ground get support find 
that healthcare team now before you need it, um, learn about your immune system so that you understand and you're not afraid of fevers. You understand this food supports your immune system, that food suppresses your immune system, you know, and, and, and the same with over-the-counter medicines. A lot of over-the-counter right. medicines, such as acetaminophen, are extremely damaging. It's like you take an acetaminophen pill, which would be Tylenol, when you've got a fever coming on, what you're doing is telling your frontline soldiers, go lay down, take a nap. Exactly. Come on in, <laughs> you know, um, learn about your immune system. And I, I guess I should say, we don't give medical and legal advice, even though it sounds like it. Right, Bernadette exactly. and Javier, we're sitting here telling you our opinion. Exactly. And we want you to go research the heck out of everything we say. Go to our website, go to CHD, go all these other places that we recommend and, and seek truth. That's what we're looking for, seek truth. That's but right. I'm kind of a bossy person, so it comes out as do it, right? <laughs> um, build your resilience. Um, a great website is healthyimmunitynow.org. I'm going to I'm gonna pull that up for everybody. I want to show people that. We haven't shown that in a little while here. Let me pull that up for, for folks to see. So this is a website you can share with people, explore yourself. Um, I'm part of it. I try to keep it updated. Um, and it, it just has effective treatment protocols, links to the science about it, links to more information so you can explore. And for quite a while now, of course, I've been featuring the FLCCC on the homepage of healthyimmunitynow.org. But I want to tell you about um, nitric acid. Have you been uh, reading anything about that, Javier? Uh, nitric acid spray. So the only one I yeah. know is, is nitric oxide spray versus nitric um, acid. Okay, hold on. I'm reading acid and there might be a typo on there. I believe it should be oxide. So yeah. um, thank you. Well, this will be corrected soon, but you're right. It is oxide. I, I apologize for the typo on the website. There it is. Nitric oxide right. is, is spelled correctly. But you know, it's like there are therapies that use hydrogen peroxide, right? Yeah. Hydrogen peroxide, I learned in this whole COVID situation, is something that my body makes naturally. It's That's part right. of my immune defenses. And you can make it outside of the body. And mm -hmm. there are ways to apply it to increase your ability to fight infection. Well, nitric oxide is also something that your body makes. And this company has come up with this nasal spray and their studies are just phenomenal. The people who are actively infected with the virus who use it within 24 hours, they have a 95% reduction in viral load. And within right. 72 hours, 99% reduction. It was like, I mean, like if you pair that with gargling with an iodine or a Listerine, I don't know how you could develop severe disease because your viral load would be kept so low. And it's the viral load that leads to, you know, the cytokine storm and the huge reactions, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and the nitric oxide is really interesting. So I'll read from here in 1998. Three scientists were given a Nobel Prize for the discovery that nitric oxide is a key molecule in the cardiovascular system that helps keep blood vessels healthy and regulates blood pressure. So you can see there's even other mechanisms of action of nitric oxide that would be helpful 
for an infection with SARS-CoV-2, which is known to be harmful, that spike protein. I'm almost wondering, just guessing here, basing on this mechanism of action, that it may be helpful for vaccine injury. It should be able to, uh, and it's nitric oxide, like you said, has so many other uh, uh, uses and, and uh, pathways in the in the body. Nitric oxide is known to be a, a very powerful uh, uh, neurotransmitter in some cases, and wow. and you know, like you said, for cardiovascular systems, uh, it can it can be the, the difference between life and death in, in certain conditions of heart attack or stroke. So, oh goodness! Is it used in hospitals? Is it? it well, there, you have to formulate it in just the right way to release it appropriately, especially okay. if you're doing it through the bloodstream. But for nasal sprays, it's fantastic because it it it'll stop the the virus. It'll actually react with the virus and, wow. and cause protein changes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, these sort of discoveries and other discoveries about how the immune system works, how viral infections work, and what we can do to optimize our immune reaction. I mean, I I just, if we lived in a different world, we would have these very safe, natural protocols being developed along with some drugs for emergency need, bring on the steroids when needed, right? Like that's what the FLCCC does. But people would be developing this very strong, broad, um, natural immunity by not, you know, safely experiencing the infection. And what we're up to 106 studies now that show that natural immunity is broad and strong and long lasting and prevents transmission, unlike the, the vaccines. Correct. But this is the world we're going to create because we're, we're starting a health revolution, right? That's what this show is about. That's what so much of what CHD is about. Del Big Tree and the High Wire, I can, so many others. Yeah. Um, uh, what else? Now, this is an area I'm going to turn to you to to kind of elaborate on a little bit because you you've got more feelers, like you were mentioning banking in different ways. Correct. Yeah. So, what's going on is impacting people's lives in so many ways. You have to be prepared. Right. Let's kind of talk about. Let's say you you're out there in the workforce and you have a job that may be impacted. How do, you know, what can people do to be prepared? That's huge. That's huge to think about faced with that um, mandate. One is if your company has not started a mandate or, you know, it's basically working off of policy saying mask up and, and test, start a conversation early on with your manager, or with your boss or with people that are involved with this and basically uh, start outlining the fact that you know you you're a loyal employee you do what you you know what you've been told by the health authorities to do and start drawing hard lines because again uh, employers need to know how many people are out there uh, that are one not going to submit to some of these conditions and two that you know there's plenty of there is plenty of information on legal support out there now to at least begin the process of saying, look, if you do this, you're going to be violating not only employee uh, mm-hmm. rights, but uh, constitutional rights. And again, these are the conversations you have because the last thing you want to do is have to go to court with your employer. So start the conversation yeah. early. Yeah, and- that's good. And and begin to educate your employer yeah, because exactly. if all they're hearing is the mainstream information, 
they might not know. So if, you know, if it's not too late, go ahead and begin bringing them the best of the science of natural immunity, the best of the science showing that the vaccines do not prevent transmission. So a mandate does nothing to improve safety of the workspace. The best of the science showing that those who have been twice vaccinated are still being hospitalized and dying. And they have a very high viral load. Yep. Um, you know, bring them that hard um, science so that you can pre- potentially work together. And what I see happening, Javier, is is our federal government agencies mm-hmm. and um, and all these other systems, OSHA. I believe they know what they're doing will not stand court cases. They know it. They know it. But they also know that by the time they can drag their feet like no others. I mean, there's been a there's been a lawsuit against Inslee and the mask since June of 2020, since he issued it. Mm -hmm. And and it still has not found its way, you know, fully, you know. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And so but so they know that people will cave, businesses will cave to the coercion, to the fear. And they can accomplish their goal. And then what, a year from now, two years from now, it finally makes it to the Supreme Court and they say, no, all of this was illegal. And they're like, doesn't matter. Everybody's already got it. And they're already on their fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth jab. Correct. Right. Or they finally have the, um, the adverse reactions is, is so huge in so many people that they've stopped the program. Correct. But the damage has been done. Well, and the the other thing is that a lot of people now, I think uh, sports and the popular culture are going to be their biggest influencers going forward. Mm -hmm. One of the things that most people don't realize is the number of young uh, soccer players, both male and female, that are actually either dropping dead or dropping injured during a game. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, in Europe, the number of cases and the number of players that have gone down while they're playing or right before they're playing from, from, you know, I I have to say this from potential vaccine entry, but we all know, but we all know that that might, you know, that, that, that has not been investigated and needs to be investigated. That number is skyrocketing to such an extent that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's patently obvious at this point when you have, when you have the German uh, um, universities in Germany, pathologists in Germany saying that at a minimum, 30 to 40% of the autopsies that they're done from people who have died recently from, uh, from potentially from the vaccine, they are convinced are from the vaccine. Mm-hmm. That tells you something. So this is just going to grow, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the same with, with, with your story, how you got involved with this project until your own family is involved, mm-hmm. until it starts personally affecting you, things won't change. And that's yeah. unfortunate. That's just human nature. And I think at some point, the tipping point is getting very close to being tipped. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a sad fact of of human nature that sometimes those problems that seem outside of you, that they won't touch you, they're happening to the other. It might touch your heartstrings a little bit, but not enough to motivate you to become an activist. Um, Yeah. So I was that until um, years ago. And, but that was my wake up call. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I tell you, the changes that we saw that need to be needed to be done. We, you know, I really thought it would be decades 
to get there because of the systemic capture, the systemic problems with this medical industry. But it's happening, you know, if you look back in history, this is almost overnight, the revolution right. that's going to happen in healthcare. Yep. Almost overnight because of, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, I'm looking at, oh, and, you know, one of the things I wanted to have people think about when they are in that difficult place. And I know it's hard. It's easy for Bernadette to say, because I'm in a bubble. I don't have a job to lose. You know, I'm going to be okay. I don't have to make that hard decision, but whatever decision people make about whether to take that product against their will or not, they're sealing the fate of future generations. That is correct. Yes. Every if you step. want, yeah, if you want your children to live in a world where they can be coerced to take a dangerous product or any product against their will, you know, that's what's happening. Um, and I know that this is really, really hard. So as a community, um, you know, I was having a, a conversation earlier with some folks from Tennessee that I'm now working with, and they're trying to support some individuals who, um, you know, they've lost their jobs for refusing the mandate. They're yeah. being told, just in, as in Washington state, that sure, we'll um, accept your religious exemption, <clears throat> but either we can't accommodate you, which is ridiculous, or your accommodation is 12 months unpaid leave of absence, which is equally, what's well, no difference to being fired, Correct. right? And so trying to figure out how do we support these families in this time? And I'm trying to, you know, um, I'm thinking we look to the infrastructure, Javier, that already exists. Some of these really good nonprofits that run food banks, mm -hmm. churches that have outreach to support families, That's right. go to the grassroots structures in the communities, and then do maybe some fundraisers to support those existing infrastructures. That's what I've been thinking of lately. Yeah, and it, that that is the you know that's the unfortunately the 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 one of the few alternative routes that are available right now, uh, and it's it's a route that's already stress, stressing the systems that we currently have these safety nets that we've established, mm -hmm. uh, just because there's so many people already uh, that were affected by the lockdowns that mm -hmm. lost their jobs because of the lockdowns, mm -hmm. and now we're adding more to that through uh, the requirements to vaccinate and unwillingness to vaccinate, you know these are these are not these, these things are illegal. And it, it's just the people that we unfortunately elected and put into positions of legislative and executive authority are basically saying, we have the power, we're going to tell you what to do. And there's nothing you can do about it. If you want to do something, fire us. Mm -hmm. And again, we're talking, like you said, year, two year, four year processes that they know at the end of it, you know, no, I don't understand this. Mm -hmm. I don't. I just don't understand how they can actually be okay with uh, utterly destroying infrastructure, jobs, and all of this. It, it, it's the power of intimidation and fear. They did such a successful job of labeling anybody who um, was critical of the CDC, critical of the FDA, critical of, of the products, anything labeled with the capital V vaccine, um, labeled us as flat earthers, crazy nutters. And 
Um, and then the whole system, the whole healthcare system, public health system, really set up to praise and glorify. They have turned it into a religion. Right. They did such as, and, and all our major legacy media, as we were saying with Betsy, they just read what's told to them without question, without doubt. If it comes from a public health entity, it is truth. If it comes from Bernadette, it is not, right? You know, that, that's the world COVID was put into. And, and it comes with such fear and intimidation because if you stand up, you know, everybody yeah. along the way is just doing, they're trying to save their own behinds. And I get that's that. I do get yep. that. But I'm asking people, step up and be a hero. Yeah. Be a hero for your children, for your grandchildren, for your great grandchildren. We need heroes and heroes are the everyday. It's the Clark Kent's in the office. Exactly. You You got a cape underneath that coat. You really do. Go do something. Um, Yeah, exactly. um, And we need people to be, to be heroes and we need to support the people who have to be heroic. Yeah. So yeah. very true. And I guess we're going to get, we're going to get to see that with uh, our, our guests in the next hour. Yeah, we're, we're just about at the top of the hour. Um, so that was a great segue there. Um, say a few words um, about who's coming on, um, Javier. Well, we have three great uh, uh, people, uh, three great men uh, that work uh, as firefighters in the fire departments. Uh, they're going to tell us a little bit about what they've experienced and what they've seen both at the vaccine end and the vaccine injury, as well as with what the fire department, uh, uh, depart- what the fire departments are doing uh, to coerce firefighters into uh, taking these jabs or getting out of the departments. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move to a break. You've been listening to Javier and Bernadette on an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be back in a few minutes. Bye now. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. 
high above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an Informed Life Radio at KKNW 1150 AM, broadcasting from the sunny state of Washington. And we have, of course, Bernadette Pager. Hello, hello, and I'm here in Tennessee, but I am still an, an activist and part of Informed Choice Washington and Informed Life Radio. And I, I just got, I'm kind of straddling this great nation of ours. I got one foot firmly in freedom and one foot firmly in the fight in Washington State. That's what I got. <laughs> and, yeah. I'm your, and I'm the co-host of this show, Javier Figueroa. Today yeah. we have uh, three great men coming on, on onto the show. Uh, people that have uh, have served, continue to serve their community uh, actively and in the background. And so I just wanted to say uh, from the bottom of my heart, I think, uh, and the bottom of many people's hearts, thank you for all the work that you've done on behalf of the public and for the community. And so let's start off with uh, our with our three guests. Uh, Mike, why don't you go ahead and just give, your, give a brief introduction of who you are? Sure. Thank you, Javier. And thank you, Bernadette. Uh, I want to start out by saying that neither uh, myself, uh, Jeff, or Andrew, our opinions are our own, and we do not represent the Seattle Fire Department in any way, shape, or form officially. So, uh, Mike Todd, Seattle Fire uh, Fighter. Uh, I've been with uh, Seattle Fire for 27 years, and uh, I'm one of the unvaccinated uh, resistors, I suppose. And uh, so we we find ourselves dealing with the fallout from that. Andrew, how about you? Uh, yeah, Andrew Pittman, uh, formerly of Seattle Fire Department. Uh, I currently am also a volunteer with uh, Clallam 2 Fire and Rescue and the City of Port Angeles. And uh, last day in Seattle as a result of not getting the shot was uh, this Wednesday. Hmm. And of course, uh, Jeff Vale. Jeff? How's my, is my audio good? We can we can hear you just fine. Okay, good. Um, yeah, Jeff Vale. I've uh, been with the department for about twenty years. Um, I am currently in the process of um, losing my job over the vaccine mandate. Have not officially been uh, been put off the books yet. Uh, did three years as a lieutenant, and I live out in Snohomish, Washington. And I'm I'm happy to be on the show. Thank you. Well, thank you guys, all three of you, for being here. Bernadette, sorry, you were going to ask a question. Uh, no, go ahead. <laughs> okay, great. Well, one of the things I had a list of uh, uh, items I wanted to check off and, and get your feedback on. One is that for many of the people that uh, live their lives and don't interact or do the same works that you do or don't interact with the, with the healthcare system or even the emergency healthcare system, they don't see what the potential side effects are or the effects are for uh, the vaccines. And I just wanted to get a, you know, your, your feedback on what you've seen or what you've had to answer to uh, as, as firefighters, as uh, 
paramedics, as people that get to the emergencies, what you've seen from um, the fallout of these vaccines? Uh, I can, yeah, I can fill that question first. Uh, as a uh, Seattle firefighter and EMT, I've been on numerous calls, probably, I don't know, close to a dozen in the time that I worked while the vaccines were out in any significance, you know, so from May or June when people actually were, you know, in high numbers starting to get vaccinated. If you looked under the hood and just as a matter of medical course, kind of asked people's medical status and their vaccine status, uh, I found numerous that had um, significant problems ranging from strokes, new onset of seizure disease, uh, or seizure disorders, um, heart attacks within days and weeks of the shot. And these were all new onset, um, some older, some middle-aged folks. And then I had other folks that had um, things like that, uh, that probably were related to the shot, but I can't guarantee that, but you saw right. this kind of de-evolution of health after they took the shot. And But you have to look under the hood because a lot of these people, sure. it was completely lost on them what the connection was. Uh, people just are trained to understand that these are safe and effective. So if they have something happen, even within a week, sometimes they're like clueless about the fact that this could be connected. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, go ahead there. Well, yeah, well, I'd like to know, is it standard to ask people when you arrive at their their home and they're in medical distress if they were recently vaccinated? Were you is that part of what you are told you should do? Yeah. No, we weren't told that we should do that. We are supposed to do a comprehensive medical history. And that became a question I got asked often from ambulance workers who were going to do the transport. Um, and uh, so I just made it a practice to kind of record that uh, in my documentation uh, for people to know for, for whatever reason, just as a per piece of pertinent medical history. Right. There you go. Mike, what about you? Uh, did you see or experience any of that? You know, uh, only one specific call comes to mind, but part of it is because uh, where I work, I work on the heavy rescue unit. And so we tend not to go on at, uh, nearly as many uh, uh, first aid related calls as uh, uh, Lieutenant Vale uh has gone on or uh, Andrew Pittman. So, um, so, but uh, I just remember one lady in particular, uh, she was driving her car and she was just pulled over in traffic and uh, she was just uh, spacey for lack of a better word. Uh, she, she, you know, for, you would think she was just having a mini stroke, but then you could bring her around and um, we ended up uh, letting her drive off a little bit, but we stayed right behind her and followed her uh, for another two blocks till she just stopped in traffic again. Right. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, you, you really wonder about that. Now, was she vaccinated or not? I don't know. But um, uh, I, I'm sure there's been an uptick of that type of thing. Sort of, I, I guess, the, the average baseline strangeness that you have in any major city uh, has gone up. It's gone up. And um, we have no uh, training on VARES. It's not part of anything we would do. Uh, there is no, other than the narrative aspect of, of the, the report we would fill out, uh, we, we have had no, no formal training or we're not asked um, to provide that information. So it would, it would be solely upon the member. And certainly if you're, you know, uh, it's a bee in your bonnet and you're an activist for this sort of thing, you would collect that information. But uh, I'm pretty much 100% convinced that the medical community 
uh, has zero interest in that information. Right. Uh, it's the exact opposite of, you know, everything was COVID, you know, you, uh, God forbid you died in a car accident and that was COVID related. And now, uh, you know, you could, you could have a medical emergency 10 seconds after having the vaccine and it's not vaccine related. Exactly. Andy, what about your experience? What have you uh, seen? Well, I was the driver. Uh, so when COVID hit, we changed the way that we typically respond. We had four person crews. And uh, so unless it was uh, an ALS uh, call in nature or escalated to that, I would stay outside. Uh, but I had pressured uh, multiple lieutenants to try to ask those questions after a few months of the, the vaccine being available. And I was met with laughter or resistance. Um, and I, I thought that was unfortunate because, you know, we're, we're kind of a problem solving organization in every mm -hmm. aspect. And if we are privy to new information or we're seeing new trends, it would behoove us to start paying attention to those. We do in other, other areas, whether it's extrication or fires or, you know, cardiac arrests. And so I just thought it was the prudent thing to do. And, and it just didn't seem like it was very uh, well received. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. when, we, when we did bring it up to, uh, in a Zoom call, it was mentioned uh, in a department-wide Zoom uh, that if a According to the medical director who was on the Zoom call that day, he said they would not count it as a vaccine-related injury until they uh, became fully vaccinated. So if there was an incident uh, immediately following the first shot, that didn't qualify them for a vaccine-related injury. And I just thought that was absolutely ludicrous and kind of spoke to the, some of the uh, lack of logic that we multiple people there saw and just were, were shaking our head in awe at. So absolutely. Could, could you repeat that again? Tell me again, who, who was it that said that it, it's not considered a vaccine injury if it was just after the first shot? What's we, the source of that? We were in a department-wide Zoom meeting and I, and I can't remember his name exactly, but it was one of our, our department medical directors who had made that comment because somebody was else was asking like what do we do in that regard and so i would imagine it's all recorded because it's a department-wide zoom meeting wow and you know but it it what's really frightening is it sort of matches what we are seeing fraudulently happen in the clinical trials right javier right. where if if somebody has an ad first of all the clinical trials are all run by the pharmaceutical companies who stand to profit right and if people did not, they had adverse reactions to the first shot, it's up to Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson and Johnson to determine whether or not it was vaccine related or not. And all they would yeah. have to say, it's not vaccine related and kick those people out of the trial. This is all being revealed now. I, is there a lawsuit? I believe there is a lawsuit filed or it's just being revealed? Correct. The whistleblower. It's both, both. Okay. And I think CHD is uh, involved in that particular lawsuit. I think, I'm, I'm not yeah. sure, but yeah. Right, so if so, you continue with the general public and we know the general public is now being used as trial subjects, unwitting trial subjects, and you're eliminating all the adverse reactions that have to happen after the first dose, you're getting rid of all the people susceptible to vaccine injury. Not all right. of them, the most susceptible, because a lot of people, it's the second dose that really puts them under, but them that under. is so astounding to me. Absolutely astounding. 
So you heard it here first, folks. Uh, there has been uh, there has been some uh, unfortunate uh, medical misinformation being applied to uh, firefighters at this point. Uh, and again, I know that this is not the responsibility of uh, EMTs uh, and paramedics and firefighters to report this to VAERS, unlike doctors and nurses who are required by law to do that and are not doing it. But Aside from that, we've gotten a snapshot of what you three as uh, people working within the fire department and emergency services um, have seen. But now we have to get into something I think that uh, is affecting all of you and all of us, which is the politics behind this and some of the uh, movements associated with what's going on in the fire departments. And I think I want to focus the rest of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the hour on that because I think this is critical to understand what you three are going through based on some of these policies and politics. Uh, one thing that uh, struck me, Andy, was uh, your comment regarding how different it is uh, within Seattle Fire Department and everywhere else. Uh, what, what has been your experience so far? Well, uh, Seattle Fire Department has had uh, a lack of transparency in their process. and. You know, in the onset, I would say that my opinion is is generally optimistic, and it's like, well, they're they're charting uh, a new path that has almost no guidance given to, them. and so I'll give it some time answers. But as more time went on, uh, either there was just still no answers as to our fate, or the answers were changing, and um, I I tried not to react very quickly to all of this new information. I gave it a few weeks before I called union officials and uh, also my local volunteer department. And the difference has been 180 degrees between Seattle and where I volunteer. And the the disgusting thing to me is that it's all uh, on the EMT credentials on the Department of Health side. And, and there's no logic in the Seattle argument. And when people in the department, whether they're vaccinated or not, have presented good, valuable information uh, up the chain of command, it's met with silence or, or a different answer that kind of just starts to distract from the original argument. Um, whereas multiple other agencies next to Seattle or across the state are still allowing firefighters like myself to continue on in, in the same capacity because we've had a really strict adherence to our PPE and it's proven hugely effective. I mean, when when this thing first came on, we, we all jumped on it and we didn't, in fact, most of us went overboard and I think our department went overboard. And, uh, you know, but that's the prudent thing to do because we don't want anybody's life to be adversely re, uh, affected because we didn't take the, the precautions necessary. And so all of those safeguards are still in place in Seattle and around the state, except Seattle just doesn't honor them. They, they said that the vaccine is the single most effective way to do it. And we're finding that's not true. And I saw you, Mike and, and Jeff nod a little bit there to some of the comments that Andy was making. Uh, this is your floor. Uh, whoever wants to talk first, go ahead and share what you, what, <laughs> what your experience has been as well. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, sure. Um, well, you know, uh, yeah, everything that Andy said resonated with me. Uh, the, the, I think he got a nod from me, especially on the uh, ignore aspect of things. I, I personally have, uh, I, 
we have a health and safety office and uh, we have four battalion chiefs assigned to that office and they're supervised by an assistant chief. So we're talking five uh, senior level officers here. And I sent in a, uh, a safety, a whistleblower safety complaint. And I based it on Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long's affidavit. Uh, she's an army colonel. They noticed uh, in her airmen uh, that had been vaccinated, she started noticing myocarditis and, and really all, all the usual um, issues going on, clotting issues and so forth. And so uh, I'd been waiting for something that was worthy of sending up the chain of command to relate to our people. Um, uh, where I work, at, though I'm no longer a diver, we have our dive team and you can, anybody who knows anything about diving, clotting is, is would, would, it would be a critical problem. So anyway, I took Lieutenant uh, Colonel Long's uh, affidavit. I applied to the Seattle Fire Department. I sent it up the chain as a formal safety complaint. And um, ultimately the response I got back was a reiteration of our policy that we're following, you know, what the governor's mandates and so on and so forth. Uh, no investigation. Uh, and right now um, I've been very careful to, to have class, classy, um, uh, interactions. And right now I'm on ignore. I've sent, and, and I, I, I have a, a week's period of time between my correspondence. I get nothing. I get nothing from five battalion chiefs. And I, I've also CC'd our union officials. I've got nothing from them. I've got no comments. I've got no behind the scenes phone calls related to it. It is ignore in all directions. And I have included in, in the stream the chief of the Seattle Fire Department. So if anybody wants to put in a public disclosure request and get a copy of that report, I encourage you to. Um, I've reached out recently to Senator Ron Johnson's office, and I have now, I've now obtained uh, the contact information for Lieutenant Colonel Long who I am just attempting to put in contact with the fire department. And all I'm asking is for an independent study of this, irregardless of the politics. Let's look at this. And as, as it relates to the safety of our membership, isn't that what the health and safety office is, is for? Should they not be politically biased? They should have an independent investigation. And so um, that's an example uh, of, for me where I've, I've been on, I'm on ignore right now. And maybe they'll see this and they'll be compelled to respond, but it's, it's, um, it is, it has exceeded my very low expectations. Mike, do you get the feeling that they're being pressured from outside or higher forces to not respond? I mean, if they, if they were to listen and respect what you submitted and actually change policy, the repercussions to them may be huge. I'm wondering if somebody does want to do a public records request to find, you know, to see, are, are these like, is this the Seattle Fire Department? That's a public entity. Is it, can we do a public records request? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. A public disclosure request and, uh, yeah. you know, um, you can yeah there there you're not allowed to be challenge or be critical of 
of the policies being implemented. And that is such a dangerous state to be in. Um, we had um, talk show host on uh, Kirby Wilbur uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about what was that uh, Javier in the military that they always have when they're coming up with like an action plan. Um, they always have a little unit that's set aside that challenges it and tries to find the flaws in the system. But we are not allowed to challenge or find flaws in, in the plan. You know, and I just I feel like if you've got all this silence, I'm just wondering, are these individuals able to sleep at night because they're reading what you're saying and surely not all of them believe what you're sending them is bogus. You know, they've got to know it's solid. How do they live with themselves? Absolutely. And and these are people I admire. Like I, I, I have grown up with these people in the organization. Uh, some of these people have saved lives. They're, they're, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, that's not hyperbole. You know, one individual in that group saved several firefighter lives by a decision that person made at an incident, right? These are good people. And so I do believe that uh, this is, it's, it's, it's a, it's such a head scratcher. So absolutely there's administrative pressure. And what I don't understand is why not at the end of your career, why not go out on the side of the troops, why not go out? What do you have to lose? Stand up for, for, and, and I'm not asking for a predetermined verdict. I, I just want a fair, a truly fair and independent investigation. And what organization is, is better suited to do that? When we're looking at firefighter safety, we can be completely independent of the mayor and the governor. And I understand this is very politically in, in, inconvenient if you were to to have a verdict the other way, but that's not our job. Our job is to look at the facts and see where those lead. And they, and, and this is not me sitting in my basement, uh, coming up with this stuff on my own. I'm handing off, as, as you know, I mean, I'm, I realize I'm preaching to the choir, but uh, there are epidemiologists, met doctors, virologists, neurobiologists, and, and all kinds of people out there who have a different, approach to this and nobody wants to listen to them. All right, Jeff. Now what's been your experience? I mean, you, you're, you know, you've, you've had to, you know, lead your, your ladder, uh, look after your guys, do all the work, you know, and you're right now having to make this, this transition, this unfortunate transition. And I'm sure it resonates with, with what Mike and, and, and Andy have said, you know, what have you been experiencing as well? Yeah, as far as um, the department's concerned, uh, one instance of the way they've handled us is on uh, October 19th, the day after the mandate uh, went into effect, our key cards were canceled. So we, we aren't even able, and I'm still, I was still a, an employee in good standing. I still am an employee in good standing. Allegedly, I'm in an accommodation process that's just a charade, but, they, but they've, they've shown their hand that they're not taking that seriously from moment one, and that was just one outward action, our key cards were canceled. And so I wanted to get my uh, copy of my personnel file. And I was like, can somebody let me into headquarters? And they're like, oh, if your key card's canceled, you're not allowed to come into a Seattle Fire Department facility. Um, I said, not with a mask, not with a whatever, you know, not that I really think those work great, but you know, what? what's the thought process? And then if you um, go from there, you know, my interactions, I, I was on the team that negotiated or bargained this um, with the chief. And 
the first argument they threw out was, well, you're, the public health, you know, and the Department of Health won't allow you to. And I gave them very clear information from the proclamation and everything else that we could see patients. The Department of Health was not limiting us. And the very first reaction was from the chief, who you would think would be, wow, this is great information. He tried to poke holes in it. And then it was, well, you're a danger to other firefighters. And so then I began going over their exposure numbers from the department with them. And I said, well, September, 81% of your COVID positive firefighters were vaccinated. So how are you going to handle the pandemic of the vaccinated? And then they just stopped emailing with me and, and, and wouldn't, wouldn't answer any questions. So um, it's pretty clear that where they were coming from and where they were heading from the beginning. And then, you know, as far as the exit from the department, uh, we've, um, They've, they've begun now firing people who are on active disability, which was never a policy before. Uh, we, I don't know what policy changed or who made that decision. <clears throat> the human resources director for the Seattle Fire Department said, this is a decision that came down from the city level, but we have no names attached to it. And then on November 9th, when you email this uh, human resources director, uh, the email says, I no longer work for the Seattle Fire Department. And you have to send all your emails. So right in the middle of this process, the human resources director has left too. So the process could not have been uh, crazier, more um, just, um, it just felt really hurtful the way they've handled us. Uh, so yeah, it, it's been a pretty challenging experience for sure. Can I add real quick on October 19th? So, um, so as uh, Jeff was saying, uh, we, our key cards didn't work. Not only that, we, we went down to Pioneer Square and we held a, a, a pancake feed for anybody who was there. And we knew there would be homeless there as well, but it was an opportunity really for us to get together with each other because we work from, we work all over the city. And some of us haven't really spent a lot of time career-wise with each other. So we were down there and uh, it, was a, it was a really nice get together. Really, it really was, um, it was a healing opportunity for all of us. So around the corner at headquarters, they had an armed guard. They had an armed guard defending headquarters. From who? From us. What was our crime? I don't know. I'm the same firefighter I was for 27 years. And they hired an armed guard. That, that just blows my mind. Not only that, the companies that were in their district, right? So this is their part of town to uh, protect. They're, it's not like they came from another part of the city. I was talking to a lieutenant, a friend of mine, who was on duty, and his phone rings while he's talking to me. It's his battalion chief. He's got to leave. Everybody on duty has to leave. They can't be seen with us in their own district. This is, it's not like they got called back for a class or something they missed. There's an armed guard around the corner, and our own people can't even talk to us. What's our crime? I don't know. So that was, that was, um, I think that's just a, a perfect caricature of, of the insanity of all this. It, I, I'm just stunned. And if you take the vaccine mandate out of the scenario, what do we have? We have an app like tyranny. We have the attempt to capture, I, you know, I don't even know the language of this, but you know, this, this has nothing to do with health. We can all see that because everything is so illogical. The, and, and the attempt to try to make anybody critical of public health policy 
into somebody, make us appear violent. This has been seated for several years. I've experienced it myself. You know, I'm a mom advocate, peaceful, show up with other moms. There's kids in wheelchairs, you know, you can't meet a more peaceful, but passionate bunch because you don't mess with our kids, right? The past couple of years, things really began to change. We could see it being seeded in things. And one day out of the blue, we showed up at a vaccine advisory committee meeting for the Department of Health. And for the first time ever, there was a security guard at the meeting. And we're looking around going, there's a security guard? Here, what the heck is going on? I went up to him and said, Hi, I'm Bernadette with Informed Choice Washington. How you doing? I'm like, Are you working here today? He says, Yeah. And I'm like, why? He says, I don't know. You know, but you know, and and this increasing is part of the intimidation. And yeah, what the heck is going on? Like I said, you take vaccines out of the equation, the mandate, what you have is the United States of America being invaded basically under the guise of public health, under the guise of some infection, because nothing makes any sense. The only thing that makes sense is there's some entity powers out there. We know who they are. We don't have to talk about them in this particular episode. Now we know who they are though, that are controlling things who want their way. They want the great reset. They want the new world order. It doesn't matter what you call it. It all comes down to control and the inability of the individual to be critical of what's happening. They want the world to fear you because you're being critical of what's happening. It's alarming, yeah. So one question that I have for all three of you, uh, there have been, there's been some discussion in uh, other groups, especially finance groups uh, that are looking at municipalities and, and city uh, uh, budgets. And there's been a big push to basically privatize fire departments and police departments uh, into basically, you know, uh, contract work uh, for large corporate entities. Has that been a discussion that's been going on uh, or that you've heard of or that you've heard rumors of uh, as part of, you know, what's been going on recently? No? No, no, I've not heard of that. And that's definitely... uh a very scary and, and touchy road to, to try to tread down. Yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't honestly heard that, but I'm not on the inside track of what's going on at, at upper level conversations either. So uh, that's an interesting angle that I had not considered. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. Oh, no, I, I, I think maybe uh, the writing on the wall, I think is there for the police. Uh, you know, the defund the police m- movement and, and we all know, like uh, Bernadette was, was talking about, this is a, this is an agenda driven and it's uh it's a, you know, a incremental destruction. And so um, I think it would affect the police first uh, because of the deteriorating condition in Seattle. We actually have the opposite problem. We only have one ambulance company that bids on the um, ambulance service and that's a private company. So uh, the way it would work, like the, you know, the, the taxpayers fund the fire department, and then we, uh, we call a private ambulance company to transport the people to the hospital. And uh, that is, is not lucrative anymore because uh, the socioeconomic uh, demographics of, um, you know, the sum total of all the transports. And um, that has, has uh, drastic ramifications because 
the fire department is not set up to transport that many people. And when the private companies don't want it, it, it we, we consistently had to put aid cars out of service. And the aid cars, are uh, they take the brunt of the EMS runs. We had to take them off of the EMS run service so that they could fill the transport problems that were happening on a regular basis. And so, uh, but I do, I definitely think that's the case for the police department because mm-hmm. uh, I've recently moved to a small town. I've never had this experience before, but you, you know, you, you think about how you take care of your community. And so do you really want a nationalized police force? Do you want a, a nationalized anything where uh, people are imported from uh, areas where they've grown up and lived? You know, you you protect your neighborhood a lot different than you would uh, uh, a foreign area, and you also right. know your neighborhood much better. And That's right. And uh, we all know the essence of living is in the gray areas, right? Like, uh, you know, you can't you can't codify everything. And no. uh, you you know, knowing the area you live in is is a beautiful thing. That's right. And again, uh, before we move too too much uh, into this, uh, the challenges that all three of you are facing uh, currently or will be facing, are, is there anyone or any organization that you're working with or a group that you're working with that is supporting you and helping you in whatever uh, avenues you're choosing to take uh, to either fight against this or to uh, seek uh, legal redress? Yeah. yeah we- uh, Good, Andy. I'm currently volunteering, so all the same credentials. There, there's just now a different ag- agency managing my Department of Health stuff, um, and nothing's really changed there. Uh, but when I was uh, working for Seattle, I was on the urban search and rescue team as a driver, and and that team is consists of King County and Pierce County, and Pierce County has not lost any members on the team because they were able to accommodate all of their members with reasonable accommodations, whereas Seattle and the rest of King County are losing a a bunch of members. And they're not spots that, you know, just everybody is able to fill. You usually have to have some sort of uh, specialty skill or or, uh, opportunity to fill one of those holes. I came on as a CDL driver and uh, they're, they're in high demand because there's hardly anybody in the fire service that, uh, has their CDL number one and has the experience to, to get into some of these areas. Um, so it's, that's been interesting. The, the last meeting they had, you know, King County showed up and they're like, yeah, we're losing 10 to 12 members. And, uh, Pierce County's like, Oh, well, we're business as usual. Uh, looks like our, our roster's full. So guess, guess our team's going out first. Um, so that's, that's really, uh, you know, both sides of the token right there and, and how different agencies are able to uh, do it. And, and to me, from an observational standpoint, is it's, it's not a matter of uh, whether they can. Uh, it's a matter of willingness. And, right. and that's the difference in Seattle is they're unwilling to accommodate. Jeff, what about you? Uh, were you referring to organizations helping us with the process? Yes. Yeah. Correct. Um, we, we've worked with the common law folks, which I know you're familiar with, um, mm-hmm. to try to defend our constitutional and God-given rights. And we also are working with an attorney at the state level currently uh, to vacate the mandate with Jay Inslee. We have a court date coming up on November 19th in federal court, and that's our most hopeful option so far. 
because we've seen some positive um, some positive outcomes for vacating mandates around the country. Our court of appeals is obviously a challenging one, but uh, we're still hopeful and it'll go past that if it doesn't. And then uh, we'll also have, um, I'm sure there will be litigation at the city level as well. Fantastic, that's, that's really great news. And it's unfortunate news, but it's great news at the same time. Mike, what about you? Yeah, um, uh, everything they mentioned, the common law, uh, the Nathan Arnold lawsuit, and uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that we're all documenting everything and uh, printing up every email. And um, you know, I you scratch your head because you know uh, uh, you think there would be so much here to um, just call Uncle on this and say this is ridi- ridiculous. Let's uh, let's let's start walking backwards a little bit. And uh, yeah. It, Unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of traction there. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it all works out. Great. And I'd like to say, I know that, Jeff, your your time is limited here. So if you have any parting words uh, before you leave. Well, I'd just like to say to you and your show, um, thank you for exposing the truth. I pray for that every day. Um, and it's, it's good that uh, there are good people like you guys out here um, doing that. And uh, Mike and Andy, love you guys. I'll see you guys around for sure. And uh, thanks for having me on. You got it. Thank yeah, you so thank much, you. Jeff. Thanks for joining no, us. Stay yeah. strong. And, and uh, <laughs> Jeff has absolutely been a leader um, um, among all of us. Uh, his negotiations with the city, and and he's he's by far the best spokesperson on behalf of all of us. And he's done a phenomenal job. And um, we are all all phenomenally thankful for for everything he's done. Thanks, Mike. We're a team. Everybody had their role, and uh, I appreciate those kind words. So, absolutely. All right. Well, so uh, Andy, I know that uh, uh, for me it was a, a bit of a shock to find out that you actually had national uh, television exposure at one point. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit about you know where you went on and what sort of uh, feedback, pushback, or repercussions? were associated with you go, going so public like that? Uh, yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey that's really uh, evolved rather quickly, uh, much like most of this has. And um, somehow I got uh, in contact with Dory Monson on the 19th of uh, October, which was the day we did the pancake feed. Um, and then after hanging out and, and eating and feeding folks and just you know, like Mike said, that was a that was a day of closure for myself and my family. My wife and uh, two of my kids went there. Uh, we walked up to City Hall and dropped off some boots, and uh, Jeff led us in prayer, uh, and then we we left. Um, later that afternoon, I talked on Dory Monson. Uh, our chief Harold Scoggins had uh, made a, a public statement the day or two before, stating there were six or seven members being separated, and I just found that was. Uh, you know, just, just a lie. It's like, there's way more and he knows that. And, and that's definitely misleading the public. Um, guys like, you know, the neighborhoods that I swore to protect and, and I did everything I could to keep that rig in service. Um, they, they anyway, were being misleading. So I was on the Dory Monson show and I, you know, said that we have, you know, between 70, 80, and maybe even a hundred members, but, you know, to, to get a complete snapshot, we have to, uh, 
we have to look at the the members who are retiring and the members who are quitting and the members who are still being accommodated and, and kind of drawn out. So um, I was told uh, the following week that I was being investigated for uh, by human resources for wearing a uniform at a protest. And so when we went up and said a prayer, dropped off boots, uh, apparently that qualified as a protest. Um, so then another week went by and I got, uh, in contact with a guy down in, uh, LA who is, uh, with Fox news, I believe channel 11 down there. He did a, a small interview with me and then that led to Fox and friends, uh, asking for an interview, uh, while I was on the East coast. So it, it worked out pretty well that I had the time, obviously I'm not at work. So, um, I did an interview with them and, you know, the the folks that I work with understand that it takes two sides of the coin to find the truth. And so, you know, in my in my nuclear work family, they've they've accepted that, you know, I'm going to be vocal about this and they haven't uh, treated me any different. And, and I've been very vocal, but I've also tried to keep it to just honest statements uh, that really highlight the the injustice coming out of this. And, uh, but from the department level, it seems like they're being vindictive towards me. And it, it just is a lot more salt in the wound and a really sore, uh, separation process to begin with. Um, and, and I still haven't had any resolution to that. Um, but it's, you know, it just is what it is. We're seeing a lot of their true colors come out and, you know, as, as other people have alluded to, um, our chief has, uh, Harold Scoggins has definitely not been, um, you know, me personally speaking, the, the same honorable guy that I, I took a interview with six and a half years ago and, and swore my life on it. And, and that's very saddening for, for me and for a lot of people that are still left behind working. Cause we, we don't take this. It's not just a job to us. It's, it's a, a way of life and we're willing to go into, into the most harrowing situations uh, and lay our life on the line for complete strangers. So we have to have a, a high level of trust with all of those around us. Uh, but the flip side is we've had a lot of members, uh, you know, Mike talked about the department has multi-layers of chiefs and we have a lot of chiefs that are still there fighting for us even though I'm not on payroll and they're they're vaccinated and, and they don't really care one way or the other they just want the truth as well and they want uh they want all their brothers and sisters to come back to work and so they're they're still fighting as much as they can on the inside and they're not done putting this to bed that's fantastic news Mike I've you know I've been ear to the ground on a lot of things and I've been getting some feedback associated with uh, with some of the details going on. Uh, how much do you think was the pressure coming in from uh, from City Hall on this? I, yeah, I, I, I think that's um, at the end of the day, right? The, the fire chief works for the mayor and uh, yeah. can be fired instantly, theoretically. So um, absolutely. I, I, I think that that the pressure is coming from City Hall and then uh, you know, I think our mayor or the, or the city of Seattle's mayor um, is in lockstep with the governor who's in lockstep with the, the political zeitgeist that Bernadette uh, alluded to, you know, this build back better new world order. Um, um, and, and you hate to talk like that because, you know, the, the normie brain uh, files that away, but, but yeah, my goodness, like, we're just independent thinkers and we're looking at the facts and we're doing our best to be non-biased. 
and nobody can be non-biased, but we're, 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 you know, um, we're constantly running internal checks and balances on ourselves, uh, playing devil's advocate with ourselves saying, where, where are we wrong? I've done this several times with this whole thing. Am I, am I just going down some crazy rabbit hole? Uh, shouldn't I just get vaccinated? And, and every time I run that systems check, it's no, 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 no. You know, and you realize you're the sane one and they're, they're the crazy ones. And so, but absolutely it's political pressure, but that being said, we, all of us, all, all five of us here tonight are under some sort of political pr- uh, pressure to also uh, conform with the system. Yes. And it, 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 it's not just about any of us. It's not about me or my job. It's about my children's future and the future of this country. And so, you know, um, that's why I call upon anybody, my, my coworkers, my supervisors, uh, anybody in the city government to, to just take a look at what's going on. And, and if nothing else, how is this public health policy working out Go go go! Stand on a bridge in Seattle and and look upon look out over the city and ask yourself: Is this a very healthy public? <laughs> you know, this is insanity. And so, um, you just hope that that our administrators somewhere um, have a conscience, and because at the end of the day, they've got to look themselves in the mirror, right? And they might wear a white shirt, or they might have a little circle with bugles that. That within our organization, that little that extra little flare represents something. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, we're all we're all the same. We all put our clothes on one leg at a time, and 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 so, you know, you got to stand before God someday and answer for how you live this life. Yeah. So yeah. that's a very good point. Yeah. yeah. And again, just one thing before you before yeah. I leave this on to you. No, no, no one here is saying uh, we want to abolish this vaccine and blow it out of the oh, face. Oh, I of am. I am. I know. I know you are. But again, <laughs> it's we're just saying, you know, give everyone a choice instead of mandating it. We're saying right. if you want to take it, take it. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. We're not. T- right. We're not forcing anyone not to. Exactly. But thing. okay. So, but with full information, because anybody who is agreeing to get these products, they were not fully informed enough or the coercion was so great and whatever their life circumstance, they felt they had no choice. So, right, yeah, I mean, I believe in freedom, absolutely. So up until COVID vaccine, Bernadette and Informed Choice Washington, you know, I did not consider myself anti-vax. I considered myself pro-informed consent. And my, our goal was to provide the information that was missing because even before COVID, parents do not know. Parents don't know that the whooping cough doesn't prevent infection, colonization, or transmission, and that newborns are catching it from their fully vaccinated siblings. And if your first exposure to the pertussis is through the vaccine, excuse your, excuse your immune system so that forever the rest of your life, you never mount a proper immune response to whooping cough right? Nobody knows this. And and so the missing information has been censored pre-COVID leading up until now. But these genetic altering products came on and they have proven to be so dangerous. Heck yeah, I say abolish them. And anybody who's pushing them that knows the truth, they go in prison. I don't, you know, I mean, 
yeah, sorry about that. But what 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 I was going to say earlier was just uh, Mike was reminding me of the videos that they put together that are so powerful. And it go you go back to the beginning of this. It's just two weeks. It's just a mask. It's just two months. It's just a sport. It's just your job. It's just one dose. It's just two doses. It's just three doses. It's just four doses, right? You know, I mean, it goes on and on. And, and the, the, you know, that expression of boiling the frog. I mean, people that, you know, the, they just keep cranking it up and cranking it up. And, and um, yeah, sorry, I'm on, a, I'm on a rant now. But yeah, a lot of people, do, we have to get comfortable. We in a free society, Nobody should fear saying they are anti any pharmaceutical product, right? I mean, who goes around saying, you know, are you, are you pro painkiller? Mike, are you pro painkiller? So if you're pro painkiller, that means that you cannot be critical of aspirin or opioids because you're pro painkiller. What? Right. To be pro vaccine makes no sense. You can't be pro a category of a pharmaceutical product, Right you might be pro a particular vaccine in a particular situation based on it, the product. It is consumer protection disguised as religion. You know, that's what has to end. Okay, I'm gonna be quiet now and get back to our guests. I'm, I'm so inspired by you guys because you are, you're standing in the truth and you're taking personal hits to your life in so many ways for it. And, you know, I, I don't have to go through that. So I honor you in any way that, you know, we can get the word out. The world's going to be a better place for your kids mm -hmm. and my kids because of this, because of your bravery. And amen. Every time one of you stands up, more grow a backbone and we'll join you. And now that we're approaching the end of our, uh, our hour, why don't we have a couple of uh, parting uh comments uh andrew because the light's going out on your end <laughs> why don't yeah. you why don't you leave this off well you know bernadette hit some really interesting points and and I'll, I'll try to keep it quick is that i have learned more in the last three and a half months about the the shot the ingredients and and just general knowledge and information by by that from jeff and mike and others in the department who have surfaced as leaders and and not by our medical director who's a doctor uh, not by our chief, not by our HR, not by anybody. And and in the process of doing that, like she said, I, we have taken some immense hits uh, personally, uh, but it is it is not just about us and our freedoms, but it is about our kids. And uh, my kids were at the uh, pancake feed and, and we've pulled them out of public school this year and my wife's homeschooling them. So uh, she might later develop an alcohol problem as a result of that with four kids at home being homeschooled. But, uh, you know, they're seeing the truth too. And, and that's the thing is I got a five and a six-year-old and, and they're able to, to look around their environment and see that things aren't adding up. And that's just the, the innocence of them and, and their environment. And because they're not, they're not being spood fed the propaganda that everybody else is buying into. And, you know, the, the loneliness that has come from the last three and a half months, knowing that I'm going to lose my job and that I'm kind of on the outskirts and the fringe, uh, has been made better by meeting folks like you, but there's still a bunch of people out there that are, 
they're in their, their loneliness and their hole because they don't have the community that we've started to develop. So I just encourage people to find a, a polite way to talk about it and look for those that are still hanging out there because they're feeling real lonely as well. Mike, the floor is yours. Well, I just, yeah, I just want to thank you, Javier, and you, Bernadette, for having us on and uh, allowing us, you know, not just to represent ourselves, but we're representing anybody who's in, in this boat. And, um, you, you know, you said some kind words, but it's, it's a no brainer. Uh, what do you say? What do you say by complying and going back? And I, I'm very sympathetic to the people who chose to get a vaccine under duress and, and, uh, but, but our worldview, I, I would be a coward if I went back and, and for me, based on what I know, you know, we, with nine children, we've seen vaccines earlier on in their lives change them overnight. And so how could I then go and, and walk downstairs and tell my family, hey, I, I've decided, I've decided for the sake of a few more years of my job to sell your future down the road. That's not, you know, that's, that's, those aren't the heroes we, we've, we've read about, you know, um, we have a wonderful book in the Orthodox Church. It's the prologue of Ored. And every day you hear of a different saint who they were dismembered and you name it for their faith. And that's the essence of being alive is we have to live for truth. Uh, and, and, and it's big talk right now, but, but you know, we, we pray for the strength to stand our post because we know we're all going to be tested at some point um, to the extent of our own capabilities. Um, so... I just ask everybody out there to to take a big a look at the big picture, uh, what's going on in our society, and to to stand up. And we have to push back against this um, this insanity. Uh, and we are we are engineering critical thinking and independent thinking uh, uh, and the true scientific method out of our our existence. And everything is weaponized. It's weaponized medicine, weaponized public health weaponized science this the religion of science not the not the practice of truth exactly you are so right the religion of science has got to end and thank you all for being here you've been listening to an informed life radio on 11:50 a.m kknw we'll be back next week During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.